second reading today comes from the Gospel according to Mark. It's in the first chapter, and the disciples have gone to Capernaum. And this is part of what happens at the end of the first day. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions, they hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. And he answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. We live hectic lives, O Lord. We live in a frenzied world, a messy, chaotic world, busy world. We feel handcuffed to our schedules. We're pulled in many directions. Help us slow it down. Calm us in such a way that we might actually hear what you say to us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. The reading we just read from Mark has always captivated me, that particular reading. I remember years ago when I read it and felt like I was reading it again for the first time. You ever have that happen? You feel like you've read something or it's something you've come across before and then you come upon it again and it feels like you're coming upon it for the first time or reading it again for the first time. Something about it grabs hold of you in a way that it never had before and you kind of are opened up to something new. Ever have that happen? That's what happened to me years ago when I read that particular part of Mark. I was in my first year of seminary and I was in a class where we were reading Mark and so I started reading it and in this first chapter I come upon this place where all this stuff is happening in Capernaum and many things are going on and it's busy and A lot is happening in this first chapter, and right in the middle of it, Jesus breaks away and goes off by himself to pray. And I read that, and I kind of stop short and say to myself, wait, wait, wait. He goes off to pray, and the disciples are, they're looking for him. They don't know where he's gone. They're looking for him. They're hunting for him. They come to him. They finally found him, and they say, everyone is looking for you. Come back and keep doing what we've been doing. And he says 
No, we're going to go to a new place to proclaim the message, for that is what I've come to do. I read that and thought about that and realized that something happened in that prayer. What happened in that prayer? That prayer changed things. And I got all excited about it. Something about it just grabbed me. And I went to some friends of mine and I said, have y'all been reading the first part of Mark, this first part of Mark? You've been reading this stuff? This is good stuff. They're like, yeah, we've been reading it. We're supposed to. We're reading it for class. So yeah, we've been reading it. You know, I'm like, but have you, did you, did you really see what's, this is amazing. He, don't you realize what's happening? He's gone off to pray and his whole direction has changed. That prayer changed everything. Don't you get that? And I'm getting all, and they're starting to kind of back off, you know, and give me that look, you know, look friends give you when, you know, they're trying to be nice, but they're a little worried about you because you're going a little crazy right now. That's what they were doing. I said, no, no, I'm serious, I'm serious this means prayer changes things. Prayer can change everything. What happened in that prayer? What happened in that prayer? They're like, just stay over there, Andy. We're going to be okay. Whatever it was, something about it just grabbed hold of me and this story has clung to my side ever since. Where did he go? What did it look like? Was the wind blowing? Did he feel the Spirit? What happened in that prayer? I've always been captivated by this one little piece of Mark. Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples go to Capernaum. This is what happens a few verses prior to what we just read. They go to Capernaum. And on the Sabbath, Jesus goes into the synagogue to teach. And Mark says that they were amazed at his teaching, just floored by this guy. And the word began to spread. And from that moment on, things began to get busier. This whole piece of Mark is one 24-hour period. From the moment they left the synagogue, they go back to Simon Peter's house and they see Peter's mother-in-law who's got a fever and he goes in he places hands on her and Mark tells us the fever leaves her and word just spreads like wildfire and the disciples they go out and they find anyone they can find all who are sick they bring all who are sick in just one day crowds crowds of people gathered at the house they were pressing in on the door things could not have started off in any more successful a way than that This is exactly what they were hoping for, that things would catch on, that Jesus would hit the big time. And right in the middle of all that stuff, right in the middle of all that chaos and all the newfound fame and the spreading word, what does Jesus do? He does the unthinkable. He does what we struggle to do. He leaves the crowds, leaves the popularity and the success He goes off by himself, he prays, he rests, he slows things down. We don't ever do that. It never feels like we 
we ever do that? Not really. I happen to think that the reason that Jesus was able to be so playful and creative in his life and in his ministry and with people is because he did things like this. One of the reasons that the apostles were able to be filled by the Holy Spirit, I think, is because they did things like this. They lived that kind of life. They lived it at a certain pace, a certain rhythm that allowed them to be open to things right in any given moment. One of the reasons why I think this story has stuck to me for so long and grabs hold of me in the way it does is because I don't think I live that kind of life. I don't think we live that kind of life. We live life in the fast lane. We don't know how to slow down. Dr. Jake O'Hammond, who I've been referring to in this series because of his work on playfulness, recalls a time when he was in New York, when he was working in New York. He says, I remember watching people literally sprint to Pennsylvania Station in order to catch a crowded commuter train and not have to wait for the next one. And often, I was one of those people. We want things now. We're used to having things now. We want overnight shipping. (laughs) We want fast internet access, fast processors in our computers. We want constant alerts on our smartphones. We want emails and text messages answered yesterday. Why haven't they gotten back to me? I texted them five seconds ago. Where are they? Why can't they get back to me? We live life in the fast lane. We have successfully created a world where getting there has become more important than who you meet along the way. It's no wonder we're dealing with such violence in our nation. As Eric Schlosser puts it, we've become a fast food nation. We're obsessed with speed When my kids were young, when we were in the car, we used to have this thing we did. We still do it sometimes, but when we'd come on a red light, we'd start chanting, turn green, turn green, turn green, as if we could magically, you know, change the conditions in our favor. (laughs) Sometimes it would work. I'd say, see, it's magic. When the light was green, we'd say, stay green, stay green, stay green. I thought it was fun at the time, and it was, but sometimes I think back on that, and I sit here and I wonder, what subtle message am I sending my kids? Can we not sit still for just a moment? Do we always have to be on the move? Must our problems be solved right now? Do we not have the ability to live with the tension that a problem creates for things being out of whack just for a little bit of time? Do we have to do we have to know right away, right now 
Must we live in the fast lane all the time? Now, I'm not talking about us slowing down to a snail's pace or anything like that. No, a playful life is not about living at the slowest possible speed. A playful life is about living life at the right speed. Sometimes it is fast, but not all the time. That's a playful life. What would it look like for you if you were able to, if you were to take one day of rest for real? For real. Or what about if you just took a week and you committed to going to bed at a regular time and actually get eight hours of sleep? Or maybe something just a little smaller. What, when, you go to the, when you go to the parking lot, in, instead of fighting for the closest possible spot and then getting upset because the person didn't see your signal, you know, and they cut in front of you, and of course they don't look at you when they're walking by. Why not just park farther out and walk? Slow it down just that much. Or when you're going out into the day, you know, Dallas, there's no such thing as, as um, a time when there's not congestion on the highways, right? So when you go out and face traffic, what if you made a commitment to not allow the person that's going to cut you off or zip around you or cut across three lanes of traffic to take the exit that you actually just passed? What if you commit to just not letting that bug you? to not actually giving that person power over how you feel. What would that be like? Or how about just turning off your phone? Turning it off. Actually turning it off. Setting it down. But Andy, if I turn it off, then, you know, I've got to at some point turn it back on, and that takes like 30 seconds to boot up. How about, how about chewing your food before you just scarf it down? We do that. We barely even know what we're eating. We're just, just over a month ago, I attended a spiritual renewal retreat. It's paid for by our denomination. It's called Credo. It's for pastors. And I, I get there and, it, you know, I look around and all of us just have this cockeyed kind of cross-eyed look, you know, like I'm on leave from my, my busy church, you know, where I'm so important, you know, or that kind of just look, you know, and we just look frazzled. The, the group just looks disheveled. And one of the leaders at the conference was a nutritionist. And on one of the nights when we had dinner, she did an exercise with us. She had us slow down our meal. And what she did, we, before we got different courses, and, and before we could 
take the next course, she would give us the backstory and all of the steps and the process that happened and all the energy and everything that happened from the moment that what became food started. So if it was grown and harvested, if she knew where that came, she would tell us it came from here and it took this amount of time to grow and this amount of time to harvest and this amount of time to, and these are the hands that prepared it and then it, and then it went from there to this place and then it's gone from there to this place and then named the people in the kitchen who spent the time to prepare that particular part of the meal and she gave us every detail she could and then we gave thanks And then when we ate it, we were not allowed to swallow without chewing it for at least 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Now that doesn't sound like much, but let me tell you, it felt like an eternity. I felt like a cow chewing cud. When I heard all that, I mean, when she started all that whole thing, you know, I have to admit, I, I have to confess, I rolled my eyes and I just went, oh God, this is one of those touchy-feely deals where you're supposed to get in touch with the earth and all the... But I also have to confess that when I do that, it's often code for saying I really should do it because it's out of my comfort zone. You want to grow spiritually? Do something out of your comfort zone. Do something that feels awkward and weird. You'll grow spiritually. That meal felt different. Felt spiritual. It felt playful. Felt whole. Things could not have been going better for Jesus and his disciples. It was a home run first day in Capernaum, and yet in the middle of all of that chaos and all of the crowds, Jesus does the unthinkable. He goes off by himself and prays. He doesn't do it because he's trying to live the slowest pace possible, the slowest speed. He's trying to live life at the right speed. A playful life does that. It tries to live life at the right speed. So my charge to you, my challenge to you today, is to look at one aspect of your life. It doesn't have to be a huge sweeping thing. Just take one small aspect of your life and look at how you do it. See how you might do it a little different and slow it down just a bit and then see what happens next you never know how God might use something like that to free up your spirit make you a little more playful a little more whole amen